Let's pray before we come to God's word. What can I give? What can I bring? What can I give to you, Lord, as an offering, Lord, this morning? You laid down your life for me. You laid down your life for sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, Lord, words fail us as to what you've done for us. So may our reasonable worship to you, back to you, Lord, be to worship you in spirit and in truth as our worship continues now in the reading and hearing of your word and the concern of what you see unto us by your spirit. And Lord, we, you change us evermore into the likeness of your son, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to continue um, in our study of Acts. We're in the the latter part of chapter 11, and um, we're going to consider this morning Acts 11, 19 to 30, and the key verse for us this morning is the Lord's hand was with them. It's in verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, but we're going to read Acts 11, 19 to 30. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this, this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This is God's word. So I said the key verse I want to keep in the back of our minds throughout is the Lord's hand was with them. So this is what the church is all about. So if you remember, way back at the start of Acts, in Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus' plan for the church. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we've seen over the last few weeks, months if you like, um, going, the church pushing out from Jerusalem. We heard about Stephen and how he preached God's word and how he was stoned for that by the Jews who were threatened by him. So the church was persecuted and pushed out again 
to Judea and Samaria. And then we came across Saul and on the road to Damascus and how he was wonderfully converted um, on the road to Damascus. And then he was preaching to the, the Jews there. He was on, and then he had to flee from the Jew, Jews from Damascus out of a basket into the frying pan with more persecution from Grecian Jews. So the, all the Jews were getting at him, yeah? And then this was pushing the church further out to where we are now, to the ends of the earth. So this was fulfilling Jesus' sovereign plan, God's sovereign plan of salvation. Not the way we would have chose, not the way the church then would have chose, but it's how God ordained it. So from the seeds of Stephen's death in Judea, it led to the planting and the watering of the church in Antioch, launching the worldwide mission of the church that is still growing as we speak right now. Because the church isn't a social club. It's not social services, and it's not a social movement. So in Antioch, what we're going to see this morning, you and me, we're going to see what the church is, and what the church, what made them stand out from the crowd, what made the church stand out from the crowd. So we're going to be thinking of th three things, and then we'll just work our way through those. So the first thing we're going to think about is from verses 19 to 24, show and tell the message. Show and tell the message. This is the first thing that made them stand out. So we're picking up in the first verse, 19. There's this persecution going on in Palestine. This was across the Mediterranean coast, if we're thinking about in modern day. And this pu pushed the church out to Phoenicia, which we read about. That's present-day Lebanon. So that's, you start finding the map in your head, maybe. And then to Cyprus. And then we find ourselves in Antioch. And that's present-day Antakya, which is in northern Syria. So these are all places that we're familiar with either through a holiday, through the news, something like that. So this is where the church was getting pushed out, where God was pushing the church out. So Antioch, what was that place like? It was the largest city of the area. The population at that time, which doesn't sound a lot in these today's terms, there was about half a million plus. But only Rome and Alexandria were larger back then. So it was a big, big old place. And there was a palace there was public baths, there was theatres, there was temples. They even held Olympic-style games there. Um, but these people hadn't heard anything about what was been going on elsewhere up until this point with the church. And there was all people from all types of cultures and backgrounds and religious and ethnic backgrounds, from Persia, from India, from China. So there was potential to reach other parts of the world by getting to this city. So God, as always, knows what he's doing. He was directing the church to this particular place where there was like a melting pot of cultures and religious people. It's often in the hard times that God's will is done. Like I said, persecution isn't something that we go looking for. But when it happens or when troubles or hardship comes, this is what God uses for his perfect purposes. And this persecution lit the fuse that then exploded like a firework in Antioch. But, did you see it? There was something there that didn't sound quite right. It jarred a little. It sounded like there was still some baggage. They were only telling the message to Jews. It says in verse 19, they were telling the message only to Jews. So these Palestinian Jews who'd become Christians, 
They had enthusiasm for Christ. There was no doubt about that. But they still looked at the Jewishness like an exclusive club. And they still were unconvinced that the gospel was for anyone else other than them. They couldn't bring themselves to accept the plain meaning of Jesus' words. So they just told the message to their own people in the synagogues. Which is fair enough, the Jews needed to hear the gospel. But that's, they kept it exclusive. But some converted Jews who originally came from Cyprus and Cyrene were told, and that's in North Africa, um, were Greek speakers. So that's what they did. So they told the message to the Greeks too because everyone needs to hear the gospel. This was a game changer for the church. And I guess what we've been hearing over the last few weeks in both a personal and a church-wide sense that we're getting challenged. As a, a, this is a warning and an example to us in Antioch and the church that was grown at this time and to us at Calvary Christian Fellowship. It shows us how our, how our personal prejudices and assumptions can strongly affect us if we don't check and examine ourselves regularly. Do we avoid certain types or groups of people or areas of Silkworth? We're not meant to keep this message to ourselves. This is not an exclusive club that you join um, to the detriment of everybody outside. We need to show and tell the message to anyone who'll listen to us. So we're told the church had amazing success with the preaching. Why? Because it came through divine power. If you pick it up in verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them. This is our key verse. This is vitally important for the church, not just here, but the church anywhere. The Lord's hand was with them. Because if we do things in our own strength, those plans will fail. So the Lord's hand was with them to hit home to hearts and to consciences to reach the parts they couldn't humanly reach in their own strength. These people weren't apostles. They were just ordinary ministers of the word, preaching God's word. But look at the result in still in verse 21. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So this is a reminder, if you like, of the amazing growth of the church by God's power. God's power, not by human wisdom or skill. What was meant to crush the church was made to work for its good. And that thought came to mind of, um, back in Genesis 50, uh, in the story of Joseph. And Joseph's brothers did the best to get rid of him, to hide him down a well. He got sold off as a slave to Egypt. And then he became a truly powerful person in Egypt, the second only to Pharaoh. And then through a famine, similar to what we heard about this morning, a famine came and he had the wisdom and the skills to build up stores that were not only sufficient for Egypt, but also for the surrounding countries. And when he got reconciled with his brothers, he said this, he said this in uh, chapter 50, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And you can see sort of the parallel, if you like, with our passage today. God's purpose is through the persecution but to see souls saved, many lives saved, many people believed and turned to the Lord. Uh, the commentator, he's a favourite of all of us by the sounds of it because we're always quoting him, um, Matthew Henry, he says this, the enemies plan to scatter and lose them, 
Christ planned to scatter and use them. I like that quote. So these heathen Greeks were converted to Christ. In this melting pot city, they were converted to Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives began fulfilling Jesus' great commission, which we read at the end of um, Matthew. Matthew chapter 8. Let's remind ourselves what it says. In Matthew 28 and verse 18, it says this, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All nations. That was the Great Commission, as it's known. And that's what we're seeing in its beginning to be fulfilled through our passage this morning. When you look around this morning, it shouldn't work on paper. It shouldn't work. But that's a powerful witness. It's a powerful witness to the watching world. You mightn't think that the world's watching, but it is. There's people from all walks here. There's people of all ages here. But we have one common denominator, and that's Christ. Christ is the only reason, if you're here as a Christian this morning, why you're here. Christ alone. So don't, don't belittle that. That is a powerful witness in itself. A living church is an evangelizing church. And thank God, literally thank God, for the fearful service and witness of those that spend time with people in their daily lives, at work, at home, at school, in midweek groups, and so on. Sometimes it's public, and we know all about that. I think a lot of the time it's quite low-key, in private, maybe it's one-to-one, -one, quietly shown and telling the message to people. Now, if you and me aren't doing that so much, what simple ways can we speak about our God in our workplace, our schools, our neighbourhood, wherever we find ourselves? You could ask, can I pray for you? It's a simple thing. People have lots of burdens and problems, just like anybody else, yeah? Like people within this body, we still have problems, health problems, like Paul. You know, stuff still happens. So you can relate to stuff that's going on in people's lives. Can I pray for you? That's something you can add extra and give back to somebody, quite simply. It takes a lot of guts sometimes, if you have never spoke to somebody about Jesus or Christ um, in, in those terms, in those bold terms. But it's just a simple thing, a simple action you need to do. Or this is what I did on Sunday. What's the thing that you get asked on Monday? What did you do at the weekend? Yeah, over coffee or whatever. Now, you could say, well, I went, I, I went and met with some people and we sort of did stuff, but you know, you could be quite vague. But if you say something quite bold, I've done it once just to try it out, because I, I, I am quite shy as, as it happens. And I've said sort of things like, well, I met um, with some other people called Christians and we were met around the Bible and we praise God with these songs and it's an absolute conversation stopper I can guarantee you but you've said it and you've said it that's the important thing and then at another time when maybe something comes into somebody's life you can pick up where you left off so it's not sort of like you've got to preach a three-point sermon 
you know, the first time you mention it. It's just, it's a drip, drip effect, if you like. This is who you are. This is your identity. So let's encourage one another just to do that in our daily lives. And it's not always as easy as it sounds. And simply share God's word. What I can definitely testify to is if, if I'm stumped for words, which usually I am, if you just share an appropriate verse into somebody's situation, God promises, promises that his word will not come back void. It'll always use that at some point in that person's life for whatever purposes. So use God's word. See the power of God's word in people's lives. And it does, people do sit up and take notes because the, a lot of people haven't heard this. And how are they going to hear otherwise? Except through you, maybe. So getting back to verse 22. The church in Jerusalem sat up and took notice soon enough. This is different. What's going on here? Let's send Barnabas to check things out. I don't know whether you've noticed it. Sadly, I paused me telly to write this down because it, it's really quick. You'll never read this, I'll promise you, because I've tried. There's an advert the BBC have got out at the moment about themselves and about their uh, reporting, if you like. And it says this. The BBC's editorial guidelines. Accuracy is not simply a matter of getting facts right. Relevant opinions as well as facts may need to be considered. Validate evidence. Corroborate claims. Accuracy is more important than speed. Witness events. Gather information firsthand. When necessary, all the relevant facts and all information should be weighed to get at the truth. If you know how it's made, you can trust what it says. Trust is earned. This is our BBC. Um, and every good journalist should do, should do this. What's the lesson I'm trying to get from that? Believe you me, it takes ages to get that. It's flashing up on the screen. What's the lesson? Check your sources. Barnabas, let's go and check what's happening. Not, not just hear you say, don't go off gossip or a tweet in today's sort of parlance. Um, it's, that's non-accountable information. Gossip, hear you say. Check your sources before entertaining any thoughts about um, possibly ch other churches or other individuals or ministers or whatever it might be. Otherwise, it can affect the witness of the church and the progress of the gospel. So it's a warning to us and it's a lesson for us to learn as church, as how to go on. Okay, going into verse 23. So the church was happy to embrace new Gentile converts. And we have to be too. Any, any new person, we should embrace and be happy to come alongside. And Laura's uh, gave a recent talk, um, supposedly to the children, um, to, on being the last and being a servant to others. So that's what we need to be, the last and a servant to others. And Barnabas is a brilliant example. He's, um, we've read through Acts that he's an encouraging and gracious person. He's the only person described as a good man in Acts. And Barnabas' vision of God's grace made him glad. To be an encourager, we must first see God's grace in people. When you see God's grace working in someone's life, it gladdens the heart. If you hear last Sunday evening, you saw the grace of God in two young men's testimonies um, of the saving faith in Christ. 
And it's wonderful to see the grace of God working in people's lives. Oh, it should be. It should be thrilling. And especially where we're least expected. Uh, I know that Johnny's sermon um, touched quite a lot of people when he was saying about sharing the gospel, not just with those we think will be receptive to the gospel, but all people. So it's picking up on that theme again of all people need to hear this. Not what we think or who we think should hear it, but all. So here in verse 24, we see what's really important to God. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Luke mentions those three things. He was a good man. The word he uses, as you know, I am an absolute expert in Greek now, agathos. He uses that word, and what that means is not just externally nice or moral, it's the goodness of a heart renewed by the Holy Spirit and informed by a living faith in Christ. That's what it's actually meaning, that type of goodness. The goodness of um, spiritual discernment and wisdom. He was a good man because he was God's man. That's the goodness that um, Luke's trying to get across to us. Think about that for a moment in the context of uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship looking for a pastor. Do we score a prospective pastor like it's strictly come preaching? It's difficult, isn't it? You based it on a video last week or the previous people that have visited us in person. And mentally you're going, mm, six out of ten maybe. It's hard. We all get that. Or do we look at the character of the man? Or should we be looking at the character of the man? Keep that in your back of your mind. And do pray for us as we, as we meet on Tuesday night to consider the next steps uh, with Paul. The two other things that, uh, I'll put them together. The two other things that uh, Luke picks out about Barnabas is he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. This is the engine room. This is Barnabas' engine room. And this is where his goodness comes from. He knew the Lord and he loved him with his whole heart. It wasn't just a one-off experience. It's a general characteristic of Barnabas' life. He was known for this goodness. He had experienced a save and change in his life. And this was pouring out of Barnabas. He had his, his heart regenerated. He, had his, he turned to faith in Christ as his saviour and Lord. So Barnabas preached the gospel that was living in his heart. What's your hope in life and death this morning? What is your hope in life and death? We've got a relatively new song that asks that question in a, in a way. How you answer that question has got eternal consequences. Jesus met up with a guy called Nicodemus, um, which we find in the early part of John's Gospel. And when Nicodemus was asking him, various questions. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again or born from above. And later on when Nicodemus was saying, what are you talking about getting born again? Jesus came back with, you should be not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from, where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 
And just over the page, we have that famous verse, don't we? And we hear it time and again. We should never tire of it, but we shouldn't forget the verses that come after it. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. What's your hope in life and death? Have you, have you, do you know that newness of life in Christ? However faulting steps you might be taking, um, has God done that mighty work in your life? If not, talk with someone. Talk through them. Ask for prayer. Don't leave this building without knowing that gospel truth in your heart. Please. Back to verse 24. So the result, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So we'll see the, the fruitful and the fearful ministry of Barnabas. His initial visit um, turned into a church planting mission. He saw the need and he went to work. And from small beginnings with a few enthusiastic believers soon became a grown church in Antioch. And uh, it set my mind away again. I uh, was celebrating, rejoicing in, giving thanks, whatever you want to say, 40 years of Calvary Christian Fellowship. From a few group, a small group of few enthusiastic believers in the village to where we are now. And that's not a slap on the back. That is a praise God. Praise God for his faithfulness and provision. And it's something to be thankful for. And over these last few months, especially weirdly since Andrew left, it just, it just sort of like pulled us up a bit to sort of be thankful and grateful how he's provided for us all these, all these, all these years. Maybe it's when we're getting a little bit more desperate and re um, re realizing how much we rely on him. Okay, enough said. So we thought about showing and telling the message. So what was that message? So the second thing is a Christ-centered message in verses 25 to 26. Saul had been sent home to Tarsus for protection when things kicked off after his conversion. The Jewish and the Grecian Christians were still very wary of Saul, and let's face it, he had form when it came to persecution. So he was out of the public eye for eight years in Tarsus. Relative obscurity, really, um, Saul. But da Barnabas saw something in Saul, and he defended him, and he was led by the Holy Spirit to bring him back to Antioch. A living church has a hunger and a thirst for the knowledge of the truth of God's word. I'll say that again. A living church has a hunger and a thirst for the knowledge of the truth of God's word. No wonder the devil wants to attack this relentlessly. Ditching the Bible's core message, replacing it with churchianity, liberal theology, all about the experience, just like entertainment, worship is entertainment, self-improvement, whatever you want to call it. What has the church become? Nationwide, even just in this country. What have we become? So Antioch 
is our example of the cure for this downward spiral. A hunger, a demand, a desire for solid spiritual food. A Christ-centered message. That's the message that we're preaching and hearing. So this was God's time in, 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 in verse 26. When Barnabas brought Saul back to Antioch. For God's purposes, when, he, when the need arose amongst the Gentiles, God brought Saul, Saul through Barnabas back to Antioch. And he was called to begin the ministry that would eventually take him across the whole Roman Empire. So the Antioch church became known for believing in, teaching about, proclaiming Christ, the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Messiah. That's what Christ means. These were well-taught people. Not in a super brainy way. This was good, solid, pure teaching and they wanted to know more and more. There's always room to know more. Always room. They were wired for the word. If you like. There was that hunger, there was a desire to learn more about Christ, the truth, good, godly teaching. Calvary Christian Fellowship. I'm addressing you all. Are you still hungry for God's word? Have you still got that desire? Are you eager to hear the word and learn more about Christ? Both corporately, in morning, evening service, Sunday school, wherever it might be. Are you discipling or being discipled? Are you teaching or being taught at home? Friday evening Bible study, one-to-one. I didn't plan this, and it's written here. You can check it afterwards. Or there's a previous example of Man Up, which was started by Matty Oliver, carried on by our Ben, who's with us this morning. And we're seeing the fruits of that now. Don't get tired of sharing this, that I got so excited at a prayer meeting the other week when we were praying for young people who were starting in secondary school or carrying on in secondary school, the likes of Sarah and the likes of um, the others. <laughs> There's too many of them. Um, I always do that. Yeah, leave it there. Um, Sorry for the families I've just offended. But we were praying for those young people. That's the point. Get it back, Kev. And around, there was about seven or eight people. They're probably sick of hearing this at the prayer meeting. But there were seven or eight young adults, we'll call them, who probably 20 or so years ago, we were, or even less, we were praying the same prayers for these young adults. Some are now on the, the eldership. Some are leading in prayer. Some are just grown and shown the grace of God in their lives in wonderful ways. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. So is that you? Is that your experience? If it's not, how can we help you as, as, as elders, as the church? If, if you feel that you, you, you're struggling or wander, you've wandered away from God's word, how can we get you back on track? We'd love to help you with that and come alongside and, you know, come and see someone. Again, don't struggle on your own. We're a body. We're a body. 
So for a whole year, we're told, Saul and Barnabas met with the church and they taught great numbers of people. That discipleship, that teaching, that changed the way people lived. Have you helped disciple someone? It's a challenge. Have you helped disciple someone? Have you spent time teaching and encouraging that person? Now I know for a fact some people quietly have done and are doing this within Calvary Christian Fellowship right now. Perhaps you and me rely upon those same people to do this. Here's a question. How did you grow in your faith after you became a Christian? Did you do it all on your own? Exclusively all on your own? I'm pretty confident that the answer is no. Could you do the same and be that same person for someone else? Could you and me come alongside someone and help them grow in their faith? Are you a new believer? Remember, this is a, a lifelong thing. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And God's placed you in a Christian family who can help you grow. Keep asking questions. Pray for patient, patient perseverance. Grow and mature through spiritual food. The Bible. In your own personal time and through teaching from others. If you struggle in your own personal time, tell someone, I'm struggling. Chances are they've probably been there or they will be there at some point. Don't be ashamed of that. Everybody struggles at some point. I think Nathan mentioned that this morning. But we can all help each other in that. I've been there. This is what worked for me. Can I pray for you about that? We'll check in every so often, see how you're doing. Still a problem, ask for a more mature Christian's help. Whatever. But don't struggle alone, please. Please. So, at the end of verse 26, um, we hear about the name Christian for the first time. Early on, the church referred to themselves as the way. The way. And the love of church at Antioch for the Lord Jesus Christ was so obvious to the community around them that it was an Antioch that they were first called Christians. The Christ ones. It was a nickname. They were actually name-calling them. Can you imagine? Like being back in the schoolyard. But that's, that's what the were, Christians, you know, them Christ ones. <laughs> but that in itself tells a story, doesn't it? There was something, or someone more specifically, that made these people stand out in the crowd. They were linked with Christ. And in those days, there was nothing special about the name Jesus on its own. It was quite a common name in those times. But the man on the streets saw the church at Antioch as belonging to Christ, the Messiah. Their lives clearly pointed to Christ and the community around them sat up and took notice. There's a missionary, um, well she was lots of things, missionary, author, speaker, God used in many ways, called Elizabeth Elliot, said this, May my words be sure and true, Lord, and let my actions point others to you. There's lots of talk, I don't know about your workplace, if you're still working, um, about identity and personal pronouns and using those. It's very topical at the moment. Before Christ, this church, the, uh, these people, sorry, were saying, I'm a Jew, I'm a Gentile, I'm a Greek, I'm a slave, whatever. In Christ, there isn't any of that anymore. 
They didn't say, I was a Jew, as they identified themselves. I was a Gentile, as your personal pronoun. All of them could say, I am a Christian. That's how I identify myself. I drew up with management because there is that thing going on at our workplace in the email addresses. Without dwelling on that, I said, can I put, I'm in Christ. And they were like, hmm, <laughs> maybe not. Their identity was in Christ. Not ashamed to be identified with him. Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. He was the creed. The enemies tried to turn this name Christian to call them, even accuse them and get them locked up. But the Christians gloried in it all the more. It's, it's like a medal of honor, a badge of honor. Depend, this says, this name said, I depend on Christ alone. Do you find yourself sometimes reluctant to refer to yourself as a Christian, I wonder? I have. Either because I, I didn't want to stand out in the crowd or I was concerned it didn't mean much to anybody these days or it means so many different things to, to the people these days that what's the point in calling yourself a Christian anymore? It just, it's been watered down. It's been changed. It means so, so many things. All these things have been gone around my head. Do you want to know if your witness is on track? It's when the world can easily see who's at the centre of your faith. What are you as an individual known for? And how better than use the name Christian? So don't, don't ditch the name Christian if that's been you, if that's your experience, because it still means so much. You're a quite Christ one. You're in Christ. So do you and me show and tell this Christ-centered message in our daily lives? Philippians says this, um, again, might be quite well known, It says this in Philippians 2, 14 to 16. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe. As you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. I've shared with a couple of people that a teaching assistant that worked in our street who used to work at the primary school over the way in New Silksworth uh, back in the day. Again, going back to these people who are now young adults. And she said, Kevin, I just saw the difference in the church kids. I knew I could pick them out who those church kids were. Now, that wasn't saying they were goody-two-shoes all the time. They weren't, probably. But there was just something different about those children. And that's credit to the parents Back then, I'm not going to embarrass them, but it's people who are in the 20-somethings now. But that, that was way back then. So it, again, it goes back to that thing, the world is watching. The world is watching. What's people seeing in your, your daily lives? So finally, finally, we've thought about showing and telling the message, and that message is, is a Christ-centered message. And now we see mercy through the message or because of the message, in verses 27 to 30. So it tells us about this prophet, Agabus. There's going to be a famine. And the church says, okay, let's send relief to the Judean church. It was spirit-led, this. Uh, there was, and it's in history books, the likes of Josephus and other uh, historical documents, all 
testified this same thing happened in around about AD 44 to 46. So it was a true prophecy that was given that there was this uh, famine during the reign of Claudius. So Antioch, this daughter church, this young church, or church plant if you like, had grown enough to be able to help the established church back in Judea. That's what we're saying there. So the congregation organized a ministry showing mercy through the message. Sharing what they had to meet the needs of others. They were cheerful givers. Cheerful givers, as scripture tells us to be. And also as scripture says, it's doing good all, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Because if we don't, the flip of that, John reminds us in his first letter, in chapter 3, 16, 18, so 1 John 3, 16, 18 says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid, his, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. These were special offerings by the church, shown mercy through in the message, but went above and beyond the normal given. So this was above and beyond their regular support and given according to each person's ability. And I guess the last bit shows us an example of how a church needs to be accountable uh, and responsible with the, the money that's um, offered each week or each month by its members. And hopefully you see that in Calvary Christian Fellowship and we get to hear about that at least once a year in the AGM. Godly wisdom of the elders to distri distribute what Barnabas and Saul brought on behalf of the church. They were ministers of the gospel, but they were also messengers of the church's mercy. So the church in Antioch eagerly did all they could to bring relief to others, and that's an example for the church down the ages. Is God prompting you to use what you've got to help others in some other way? It might be some small act of kindness, and I know there's plenty of that goes on here. Or it may be in response to a great need you're aware of. Are we aware of it? Is there something that the church can help you with this? Is God prompting you in this work that you need some extra help for some brothers and sisters? Let us know. Don't struggle alone. And, and, and let's, let's show God's mercy. And the Lord promises a blessing on this mercy ministry. He says in uh, Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, in Matthew 5, 7, says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And again, 6, 1, 4, he says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, to be honoured by men. I tell you the truth, they receive the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, so that you're given may be in secret. Then your father, who says what's done in secret, will reward you. We might never know what's going on, and that's the point. God's shown his mercy through brothers and sisters in Christ, um, our trust um, amongst us. So looking ahead, Barnabas and Saul's 
year-long mission in Antioch prepared them for an even greater mission to come. The perse persecution actually increases, we're going to find out. There's going to be imprisonments, and yet the word of God continued to spread. So, in summary, let's just think of some simple points. God gifted Barnabas to encourage and help the church to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ by showing and telling them the Christ-centered message. God's gifted each person in Calvary Christian Fellowship with various gifts to build up the church to show and tell this message. For one body, many parts, all for God's glory. Are you using your gift in this way? Is there any way we can help encourage that and bring that out? Or if you're not sure what your gift is, do you want prayer for that? Again, seek out uh, together with brothers and sisters in Christ if you're not sure what your gift might be. And Barnabas is our great example of how to help new Christians. He had a strong faith, a joyful ministry. He showed kindness and encouragement and teaching new believers more about God, showing and telling them the Christ-centered message. So remember Barnabas as the example when you say new Christians and think of ways you can help them grow in their faith, showing and telling this message to them. And finally, through the showing and telling of this Christ-centered message, there'll be mercy. That'll just be a natural outpouring or a supernatural outpouring if you like. Micah 6.8 says this, he has showed you O man what's, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So the challenge there for all of us who bear the name Christian this morning is this to live up to the name Christian in word, in thought and deed as you and me show and tell the message which is a Christ-centered message, and in turn show mercy because of this message or through the message. For true success, for true success, and praise God for how he's kept us right up to this moment as a body of believers, the Lord's hand must be with us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, may we not be just hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Lord, grant us the strength, the ability, the means to do that. We pray for one another. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Hate the dear for those who cannot be here for whatever reason. Lord, that we would show and tell the message in our daily lives, Lord that you would be at the centre of that message. And that through acts of kindness, or even greater things, Lord, you'd show us the way to show mercy to others, and especially to those within the body of believers. Lord, may your hand be with us. Lord, as we seek a pastor, Father God, may we look to the character of the man. 
may we see a Barnabas like man who was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Lord, that's who we desire. Help us to focus on you, Lord Jesus Christ, this week in our schools, in our workplaces, in our homes, wherever we find ourselves, Lord, may we boast in the name of Christ, be proud to be called Christian, Christ one. And may we shine in this crooked and depraved generation, Lord, in small ways and great ways. Father God, use us as your people, I pray in Jesus' name, for his glory. Amen.